Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to Jam Session. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm Amanda Dobbins. We're coming off of a big weekend in pop culture, the Barbenheimer weekend. Amanda, how's the big picture feeling about it? Excited, you know, mostly. Happy. It's really, yeah, it's great to have people actually watching movies, you know, which at least in the context of this podcast is not always the case, but you, Julia Lippman, saw two movies this weekend. I know. I can't believe it. I saw them in under 24 hours. I saw Oppenheimer at 3.30 p.m. on Friday, and then I saw Barbie at 9.30 a.m. on Saturday, partially to get 20% off. Okay. I would like to know all of the decision factors that led to 9.30 <laughs> a.m. Barbie. So partially to get 20% off. Like, what percentage was that a motivating factor versus ticket availability versus... Did you see it with anyone else? What their I saw availability? It with my mom. We had a great time. We wanted to see it in my mom's neighborhood because we both had to run errands afterwards. So there was two movie theater options. One was sold out, and or you could sit in like row C, mm-hmm. but I was not interested in that. So we wanted to go early for the discount and then to be able to run errands. So nine thirty, it was. <laughs> what was the the crowd at nine thirty? Quite full. Yeah, but give me some demographics. Oh, all over the map, young, old, mostly female. But yeah, it was it was a wide array. People were just happy and just like a lot looking of pink. To like a lot of pink, not as much as I saw when I went to see Oppenheimer on Friday afternoon, but okay. there was a lot of pink. I had brought in a muffin, so I was feeling great. And what kind of muffin? It was like an apple brand muffin. It was really dense, but it was not sweet. It was really good. It was absolutely delicious. I got it at a farmer's market right outside the theater. I went to the AMC on 68th and Broadway here in good old New York City, and I had a great time. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really fun. I love a pop culture moment, so I was just really happy that, like, 
collectively as a society, we were all deciding to care about this this weekend together. Like, and I happen to really like both movies. I've, I've particularly have notes on Barbie, but I really liked both. And it was just like really fun for there to feel like there was a collective interest in one thing in pop culture. It was great. Loved it. I agree. We don't get many of these events anymore. Someone on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, and I apologize to this person, compared the Barbenheimer moment to the same thing that's going on with the Taylor Swift shows and the Beyonce shows of people just being excited for an event. And and there being kind of also like scarcity involved in all of it. Like you don't, you don't get two movies like this every weekend and people seem to rally around like the occasion of it and the moment in time. Yeah. And and also, um, I think that like just in general, like Greta Gerwig is like a beacon of good decision making. Yeah. And I feel like, I just think that the fact that she and Margot Robbie were so early and like taking pictures with the Oppenheimer poster to like kind of like set the tone that these Mm -hmm. two things can go together was so great. And yeah, I just am like so grateful that Greta Gerwig exists. As am I. She is my, one of my true heroes. And we, I want to talk about her in the movie for a second, but I do also just want to say to your point about the event and the marketing, you really do have to hand it to Warner Brothers marketing in Endeavor, which is, we talked about how inescapable it was. And, and it really was. And I don't know that if I need you know, all of the Barbie tie-ins that were offered to me. Although if Prada (laughs) has any spare Barbie, whatever, maybe I would wear pink in that one setting if it were sent to me. Anyway, but I I do think that that was a large, you got to give them credit. It was everywhere and it was in your face, but then everyone just kind of bought in, which is like sort of amazing. Yeah. And also there are, I mean, you know, we're not part of like superhero culture. Yes, you are. Like yeah. a little bit. Well, not obligation against my will. Yeah, but there's so few like signifiers that I think like so many people can identify. Like Barbie is shorthand for like a lot of different things, and that's like a big part of the movie as well. Yes. And so there's 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 and Taylor Swift is like that too. Like Taylor Swift is like her own kind of doll in a way. And there's just not that many things out there anymore that so many people have an association with, even that they don't have the same association. So it's like more akin to like peanut butter than it is to anything totally. else. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it was just like, it was just fun. Just like, just great July act- activities of going to the movies and like having a lot of people to discuss it with. I guess I could just email her, but then your listeners wouldn't get to hear her mom's review. So did your mom like Barbie? She did, yes. We both liked it. I think my mom liked it more than I did. Okay. Once again, Betty Jane and I have the exact same taste. You do. Yes, you do. Um, It's really meaningful to me. (laughs) She liked it a lot. I think we both were like, holy shit, I can't believe this movie got made. Mm -hmm. The main takeaway, I suppose this is like mildly a spoiler, but like Barbie is an experience. Both Barbie and Oppenheimer are like experiential movies. So I think even knowing like details doesn't really take away from from what you'll get by actually going to see it. But I would say, like, Barbie overall can be summed up as, like, men are somewhere between superfluous to, like, malefactors in this world. (laughs) And so that's, like, a pretty, like, radical statement for a major studio movie. So that was, like, that was pretty wild. And then, you know, it's wrapped up in just, like, these beautiful people and incredible production design. And my other takeaway is that Greta Gerwig watches as much British television as I do. 
Well, the references are sort of overwhelming to me. That It is a very dense movie, and I find it to be joke by joke, extremely funny, and also overwhelming, as I said, because this is a person I should believe Gregor is a year older than I am, but grew up consuming like the exact same pop culture that I did, you know? And it's really like multiple Matchbox 20 jokes. Like, I don't know what to say. I'm glad you went there. I was going to say that I was, I did not know about the Matchbox 20 jokes and I'm so (laughs) glad I didn't. They hit as hard as the Dave Matthews joke than Lady Bird. And if not harder, and it was so well done. One thing I want to ask, Jade, our producer, is here. She has seen it twice because she is a, a AMC card member. I believe it's called Stubbs. Stubbs, yeah. Yeah. Jade, did you understand the Matchbox 20 joke? Do you know what Matchbox 20 is? Yeah. Okay. Jade is a generation or maybe no. two younger than us, and she's saying no. I never listened. I never paid attention to the lyrics of that song, Push, before. They Nor are did I, but it was really vowel. funny. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> fucking crazy. That song was really popular. Like, sure. It's nuts. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I liked it joke by joke more than I liked. I liked the the parts more than the sum, I think, and is, like, kind of my takeaway. I, th- I think that's fair, and I think many people will feel that way. And I brought up the references in particular just to say, and I said this on The Big Picture, like, I don't really— I don't have any distance from this movie. And I'm not even a, I didn't really play with Barbies. It's not from my association with Barbie, but I just, Greta Gerwig is like a hero and way cooler, more talented, smarter version of my brain. You know, like it's not the same brain, but I don't feel as like reflected upon the screen as I do when like watching her random jokes. So I have, I feel very close to it. I think for you, I, I feel I feel similarly. Like Francis Ha, seeing Francis Ha is like one of the most sure. like def, like memorable experiences Likewise. of my twenties. Yeah, full, like full stop. But I think that like this is I don't know that you and I I don't want to speak for you, but I I feel comfortable saying that like I don't think you and I often feel like quote unquote seen by pop culture. It's true. Except by Greta Gerwig. It's true. And, like that's, yeah, that's why it's like such like a it's so jarring to like have that experience, and it's something that people like. You know, it's like a meme to say I feel seen, but I actually feel that way about Greta Gerwig movies. I I completely feel that way, and that's also why it's so positively jarring to have it be so broad and have so many people also be excited to see it and at least have a fun time, even if they don't like think it's the most important movie ever made. And I don't really think it's the most important movie ever made either. I don't. It's not even my favorite Greta Gerwig movie, but. It's so fun. Like, it is really hard to make a big movie that holds together for two hours that that many people, like, actually enjoy. Like, that is that yeah. is in some ways technically harder than, like, a lot of the stuff that most big budget, like, super involved action sequences are doing. You just, it's, you, every single thing has to be exactly right. And it's a real have your cake and eat it to movie. And I think that's usually said negatively, but I mean that really positively. Yeah. Like they just did it. I didn't know that you could have it both ways. And I, I think this movie mostly does. I don't I don't feel this way about as many. I mean, I, it just, I don't feel, it's not as emotionally resonant for me, but I think that, that, that a lot of what you're saying is also really true of Spider-Verse Multiverse, where yes. it is so broad and can has to have so much meaning to so many different people. 
And it also has packed with references that you could spend, like, weeks, like, you know, identifying. It also is, like, invested in art and, like, brushstrokes. And, like, I think those two, those, that's the other movie I saw this summer. And, like, I think that, like, a broad movie is best when so many people can get something out of it. And I think that's, like, true. That's true of Barbie as well. And and it's, like, it's it's meaningful. And I felt really moved by Spider-Verse for the same reason. Yeah. No, I think that's a great comparison because it can, it encompasses a lot to a lot of different people. And also is just thrilling or maybe you weren't, like, thrilled by Barbie in the way that I was. But, it, like, Barbie is, like, a party. It's genuinely just a very fun time at the movies. And I love the dance, the dance numbers, especially in the beginning, like the first dance numbers at the dream, at the like Barbie land, I loved. It was so much fun. I never wanted them to end. And watching Ryan Gosling and Simu Liu dance together, it was like a life highlight. I loved it. It, it was really beautiful. <laughs> the dream ballet was also incredibly important. It's just really, I loved it. And it's really cool that so many people also just seem to be having a good time. Also, like, the idea that just something fun, like, yes, it has, sure, it has ideas, and I guess it's, like, complicated, and, you know, it it is, like, a pretty self, it, I mean, it is a brand extension, as we all know, but that's, like, incorporated pretty literally and almost, like, in a self-flagellation way into the text, which works for me, might not work for others, but there is, there is a lot to unpack, but it is just also fun. Like it is, yeah. it's just, it's really fun. And I don't, I feel like we don't get that many just fun things. When you said dream ballet, it made me think of Oklahoma, which begins yeah. with the dream, act two begins with the dream ballet. And Oklahoma, also similar to Barbie, is like incredibly subversive, but is delivered in a very familiar package. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, the original production, has a lot of problems now, like, you know, through the 2023 lens, but there was a 2019 production that really was incredible and recast the character literally and figuratively of, of Ali Hakam in a way that made it, like, less racist in some ways. But anyway, when Oklahoma came out originally, it was, like, really successful and, like, mind-blowing. But again, like, it came in a very familiar package, much like Barbie. And that's, like, what some of the most, ex- to me, some of the most exciting, like, pop cultural moments are are made of is, like, something that you can identify and, like, talk about the the parts, but it's doing something really unique that's, like, very hard to pull off. And so it sort of, like, doesn't matter if I have notes on Barbie. It's, like, an important thing to have happened in the world. Notes are fine. What are your notes? Yeah. Who, uh, yeah. I, my, what are my notes? Yeah. Rhea Perlman as God, as Ruth Handler, as it was, like, just didn't work for me. I was just sort okay. of, like, I get it. Ruth Handler created Barbie. I get it. Like, she's been put in a box and Barbie's breaking out of that. But I just, none of that worked. And like, logically, I was just like, what's going on here? Okay. I'm never going to say I want less Ryan Gosling on screen, but some of like the kind of the second act supremacy of Ken was like a little bit long for me. Although I found (laughs) the jokes about horses and how much men love horses so funny. And I absolutely loved it. Obviously, horses also like as cars and whatever. Also, the full spoilers from this point on. Like the heist sequence when they like take back control of of Barbie Land through you know and and the whole Godfather sequ- joke sequence is really spoke to me. It was really funny. Yeah, yeah. I just some of the speechifying. I like the jokes a lot more than the speechifying. So when they sort of have so like but you know towards the end of like like the last you know thirty minutes or whatever when like America Ferrera was doing a lot of heavy lifting of like mm-hmm. explaining stuff and like. I was just like, we don't really need this, but that's okay. I don't, I don't have a better suggestion of what could have happened. I was like really moved by America Ferrera throughout the movie. I, but like, 
the first time that I started tearing up, which is really embarrassing, is like when Barbie is having the like flashbacks and or Barbie realizes that it was America Ferreira's character yeah. playing with the doll to like remember the time that she spent with her child. And then I just started crying and I was like, this is like a bad Hallmark ad, like a bad one. <laughs> so I share that to say everything America Ferrer did worked for me. Don't know. That's just, that's, that's the zone I was in. That's great. I'm, I'm happy for you. It's, You're it's, feeling it's, things. That's great. That's for me. I was feeling it. I completely understand how hokey it is. And, <laughs> and that's, I mean, that was definitely like a long speech that she gave. It's also the funny thing about that speech, which, which I really liked, I think in part because you can even hear Greta Gerwig's cadence in it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like America Ferrer is almost doing Greta Gerwig, which as a Greta Gerwig stand, I I just appreciated, you know, I was like, oh, like you see what's going on here. So, but but it, there, there are speeches. Sure, I get it. One thing I, I like about this pop culture moment is, and it's, uh, it's, it's good that it's coming at the same time as the Oppenheimer moment, which is that mm-hmm. like, people are speaking about Greta Gerwig this today, this week, last few weeks, in a way usually reserved for male directors. And it's not mm-hmm. to say that other women directors aren't celebrated. And like, I don't, you know, I'm sure you guys talk a lot about this. So I don't want to get too deep into the big picture, but just just for me, like I don't I don't really engage with like auteur culture and like I don't really engage a lot of the work of like so-called auteurs. But Greta Gerwig is it like her cast is talking about her that way. We're like, they're all like, this is Greta's movie. Like she's like just sort of talking with her about her with like awe and also really focusing on how much work she does and like what her vision is like. And that is just so rare for women filmmakers, even with like you know, Chloe Zhao won last year. Like, it, it sort of, it just doesn't happen. And so that is part of, like, the subversion of Barbie. And I'm, like, so happy that it's happening at the same time that people are talking about Christopher Nolan. Yes. Who famously is very bad at depicting women. So it's, like, really appropriate. <laughs> and Oppenheimer does not improve Continues, on that yeah. record. Yeah. And I really liked Oppenheimer. You know, I, I, I don't need, I don't need Oppenheimer to be like a historical record. Like I, I like to read so that I can get it there. But it's, <laughs> it's like noticeable. Yeah. There's one Florence Pugh scene that is, is actually like, a, it's just a hilarious movie choice. You know, I'll always remember it, but I was also like, what's going on here? Anyway. Can um, we talk about Florence Pugh for a second? Sure. I took in so much Barbie beforehand that like I spent the last 72 hours taking an Oppenheimer content because I took a none beforehand. I just think that like I would like to hit eject on every person who... So Killian Murphy and, and Florence Pugh did a junket session together. So they did a lot of interviews together. And multiple people asked them about, spoiler alert, again, like, I don't know, this is part of history, but asked them about their sex scenes together. And I just feel like that is so... Weird. I understand they're trying to, like, talk about the movie, but it's, like, these are two humans that, like, yeah, they are actors, but mm-hmm. there's a huge age gap here, which, like, fine, but it's just sort of, like, a weird thing to do, and it's also one of the, like, least interesting things about the movie, even if most striking. I get it. Like, I understand it's, like, a pretty, like, wild scene. Like, there's two scenes that are, like, pretty far-fetched, but it's also just, like, such a weird thing to hone in on among, like, this three-hour movie. <laughs> I agree with you as, like, a, as a, as a content decision, like, I, and as a, I guess, a journalistic decision. Like, I, I, I am not sure I would lead with that question. It's pretty weird. 
And I don't know if I want to sit through the three of them having a conversation about it. You know what I'm saying? I agree with you. I was like, this is awkward. And then I also read some transcripts. And I just wanted to note, this is not movie commentary. This is like media commentary about what should you ask? What I, <laughs> what I would say in response is that there's not much else to ask Florence Pugh about. Yes. So that's pretty tough. And also one of the sex scenes... A friend of mine, Juliet, I I think you'll like this reference. A friend of mine compared it to the Munich sex scene. Mm, another and great movie. Not I, quite a historical movie. I, I, I'm not a huge Munich person either. I still can't believe that the first sex scene happened, and that's what they did. It's it's memorable. How about that? So yeah. so in that sense, that is engaging with the text of the film because the the that's film true. is really just putting it out there, front and center. Killian Murphy is very awkward in interviews, so I just like I'm like this is not really going to get him going. I don't know. <laughs> I really liked Oppenheimer. I had a lot of notes. Yeah, I got it. I mean, yeah, I I really liked it too. I plan to see it again. Can you believe it? But not I for think, a few weeks. I think the one thing that I would say if you haven't seen Oppenheimer, sorry, we spoiled the absurd sex scenes. You can't even imagine what's happening. So yeah, but still, like that's the thing don't is worry. that we we actually didn't <laughs> spoil it for you, and then. <laughs> see it in theaters and if possible in IMAX and that is like a real I'm sorry to wear my big picture hat and that's a really nerdy thing to say and in fact I usually roll my eyes but I saw it once in 70 millimeter and then once in IMAX 70 millimeter and it is like actually a lot better (laughs) in IMAX it just like I was like oh this is better because it is to your point like Barbie experiential and so much of the wonder is in how it's in filmed the sound the seeing it together, you know, like the, I, you would not get the ex- same experience reading the script on a piece of paper at all, I might say. So go see it big. Have you heard of Robert Downey Jr.? I heard he played Iron Man. <laughs> Did you? Well, yeah. I haven't engaged with Iron Man since the first Iron Man came out. So okay. I'm like rejoining the world of Robert Downey Jr. Well, but I did watch like a lot of YouTube interviews of Christopher Nolan, Matt Damon, Robert Downey Jr., Killian Murphy, and Emily Blunt together. They must have done a press day together because there's, like, several of them sitting in these, like, L-shaped couches or whatever. Robert Downey Jr. is so weird. I just, like, oh, my God. First of all, that quintet is, like, such a funny group because Christopher Nolan and Killian Murphy are both, like, pretty serious, and I would also say Mm self-serious, whereas, like, Matt Damon is so many things. And Robert Downey Jr. is, like, this really, at least in this, in this setting, he's, like, the sort of, like, older statesman, but also kind of funny. And then he's Emily like Mr. Blunt. Mr. Hollywood. Yeah. And then Emily Blunt just, like, interjects to, like, make fun of people. And it's, like, such a weird atmosphere, but I also found, like, I couldn't look away. Also, Matt Damon just kind of seems like he's doing them a favor by being there. Like, his his <laughs> the success of this movie has so little to do with Matt Damon's career. Like, it's just sort of like, <laughs> he's good. Also, he's incredible in the movie. But just, like, watching them do press together was, like, really, really interesting. They all seemed so annoyed they had to do it. They're, like, counting down the seconds until the strike, the SAG strikes so they would get right. out of it. And they did walk out of the Oppenheimer premiere and are, and are no longer promoting it in any way. Both of these movies got in just under the wire. And they had to do a lot of press beforehand. Yeah, well, you as a noted press cycle consumer miss all of the junkets and the videos about people answering Google results? Yes, I I will. I think I mentioned this to you. I can't remember. I don't know if it was on a pod, but I watched Ryan Gosling do GQ's like 10 Things I Can't Live Without, but he did 10 Things Ken Can't Live Without. (laughs) And 
this is just funny. Like, among these two movies, it's like the most number of like extremely famous people who hate doing press and like don't get <laughs> off from it. Like, Ryan Gosling hates it. Killian Murphy hates it. Christopher Nolan, bored by it. Robert Downey Jr. doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do. Like, it's just so funny. And Matt Damon's just like leading with like, I almost got divorced. And then Christopher Nolan called. Right. And it's like, that was so strange. Can we, I want to break that out. I'm so glad you saw that too, because I was telling Sean about that. He was like, I did not see that press clip. So one of the stories that Matt Damon told on one of his press days was that he and his wife were in couples therapy. And he, as a part of couples therapy, was making a pledge to cut back on his work. But he instituted a carve out in couples therapy for if Chris Nolan called. And he's like, this is a true story. We are in couples therapy and I'm saying I'm going to work less unless Chris Nolan called. And then, and lo and behold, Chris Nolan called. The other thing, yeah, it it happened. So it's tough to be his wife. That's uh, really good contract writing by Matt Damon in the room. I know. You know? I know. It's also a lot of good foresight. The other thing is Emily Blunt says she's like taking taking a pause from acting in this press tour. But then she was also like, it's, that has been blown out of proportion. Yeah, and also, like, now they're all taking a pause, so... Right. Good timing. We'll see. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. It's it's funny. Also, Killian Murphy was describing, in one of the interviews I watched, he was describing how Matt Damon and Emily Blunt are good friends because they're neighbors. And I just thought it was like, it was funny because he were he was in A Quiet Place too, so he knew her. And then like, it's just like a web of connections in the, in this cast. But like the, the strongest friendship there is Emily Blunt and Matt Damon, which I just kind of found funny for whatever reason. Do you think that's why Emily Blunt did the movie? Maybe. That's possible. <laughs> Respectfully. I, she's wonderful. I wanted more for her. I know. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. I also thought that for all of like the beautiful like camera work and for all of like the artistry mm-hmm. of the movie, Emily Blunt's makeup like was very, very apparent to me, which was maybe a choice. I think it was intentional, right? I don't know. I just thought her prosthetics were the, by far the worst. Yeah. And like, and Christopher Nolan talked about like not wanting to have any artifice and so that he shot it around Killian Murphy's haircuts, which is so funny because Killian Murphy is known for his Peaky Blinders haircuts and like watch people like 
can tell when he's in production or, like, when it was over based on watching his hair grow out. But, well, I guess us Peaky Blinder fans are, are aware Peaky of that. Peaky Blinders are built different. Like, you guys are really on your own little level. And that's nice. It's nice that you've built a community for yourselves. Are you watching Hijack? Not yet, because I've been prepping for Barbenheimer. And, you know, I, think I was, like, like it. watching. I'm, I'm excited. Like, my summer movies start on Wednesday of this week. I would say when I can I can watch for myself and not nice. no longer watch. I know I'm very excited. So hijacks on the list and the rest of like and just like that. Idris Elba is delightful in it, but there's a woman from Peaky Blinders in it as well. They're okay. everywhere, Amanda. That's the point. <laughs> Including in in Barbie, Kingsley Benadire was also in Peaky He's Blinders. He's in Peaky Blinders for one season. Yeah, is Peaky Blinders still going? So it is <laughs> over, but they're going to make a movie one day. So oh no. <laughs> It'll like happen. the just the, all of the emotions that cross your face as you prepare to answer that question. I should have <laughs> known what I was asking, but I also wasn't like totally prepared for it. It's a great show. If you haven't watched, just do it. It's so incredible. And if you like Killian Murphy's sex scenes after seeing Oppenheimer, there's plenty more. So. I I really I would love to hear from the person who goes to see Oppenheimer. And it's like, you know what really worked for me was those two sex scenes. So now I'm going to watch all of Pinky Blinders and join the hive. If you're well, out there, get in touch. There's a lot of other great stuff to love Pinky Blinders. All right, let's move on. A couple other random things that I wanted to discuss with you. Okay. I've been meaning to bring this up. Amanda Seyfried did a home tour of her apartment in New York City in the Apthorpe, which is famously where Nora Ephron lived. She does not live there full time. She, I don't, what was she promoting with this? I believe the launch of her line of toy children's homes, basically, like nice cardboard boxes that look like homes that your kids can play in. Right. She slipped that into the video and she was really proud. Yeah, but she's been promoting it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Okay. She's also like a makeup face that I saw. I was like, oh, good for her. She does it. It's a lengthy video. It's 12 minutes. And she says a lot of things that indicate to me that she might not be entirely dissimilar from Karen, who she played in Mean Girls. And I was curious what you thought about her apartment. Well, I loved the vibe of, of her tour. I thought that she had Karen, but... Like practical, grounded Karen vibes, if that makes any sense. Sure, it was like, like someone who is someone who has kids, and not that she's like a mom, but like has to think practically on behalf of her children. And just the minute that you thought she was really veering off into outer space or whatever, she brought it back with a quip <laughs> or something funny, you know, and like an aside to camera. So I thought great hang, some really funny things that she said, and I also was really touched by all of her, like, weird but good and personal art. Like, you don't watch these tours and have people who know anything about the art in their homes, much less having it be compelling and much of it having weird, funny backstories or themes like toilet art. I just, I I really she liked toilet all of art. It. And her daughter's she, art. Yes. But also... <laughs> sculptures that are just hands that are also holding up lights and a painting of her dog inspired by David Letterman. And the the one eyebrow raise with respect to the art was when she showed a painting that was like her most wonderful, her favorite piece of art of all time. 
It's a painting of her with a sleeping cat or a dead cat. I, I don't want to speculate behavior. on the status of the cat. Anyway, she was like, it's my favorite, favorite piece of art ever. And it's in her apartment, which she notes many times is not her actual home, but the place where they stay when they're in New York. She and Jim from the newsroom live in a, on a farm upstate. Yeah. So I'm like, it's your most Sadeki. Yeah. If it's your most beloved piece of art, why isn't it in your home where you would see it all the time? Do you think most people who who are actors have arts art of themselves in their home? I don't I don't a lot more than you would think in one way or another. Do you think most non-actors have art of themselves in their home? I don't, but (laughs) my parents did like make me sit for a portrait when I was a small child. Mm. So that, you know, when I was growing up, I lived in a home with art of myself against my will. And now it lives in my dad's house. Thank God. And I hope, but I don't know where else it's going to go at some point. Like it's going to have to come to us. I'm like, what am I going to do with it? I like, I don't know. And when you think about it like that, like many people sat for portraits and have like family galleries. So it's not like an unheard of thing historically. And now mostly people just live with a bunch of photos of themselves, you know, and they sit for posed portraits. You're right. I just was like, oh, so actressy. But maybe not. Maybe I'm just being harsh. I thought she seemed fun. I thought, I, I liked a lot of the, like, smart apartment living piece, like, things of, like, more storage and, and things like that. But it also just felt kind of, like, closed off to me in a, in a weird way. But I think she was maximizing storage. It's, it seemed like a small space. Yeah, it did. But they managed to get, like, three bedrooms in there, which was very impressive. Right. I liked the hidden TV with the, the cabinet doors. And I don't eat. I was going to say it looked lived in, except they have never cooked in that kitchen. So it seems like maybe it's not lived in. She's lived a lot of life. Yeah. I kind of liked it. I don't know if they live there very much, but I liked it. And I I thought she seemed really fun. Yeah, she seems like a good hang. Yeah. Also, like, just like, kind of weird. So you're like, hmm, what are you going to get? You know, it's, it's a real up and down time to be an Amanda. And I, but she's in the the column for good, you know? Who's in the column for bad? Every single Bachelor contestant? Mm. Yeah. Okay. There's, there are usually like five Amandas, right? Like Amanda W. There used Amanda. to be. It's kind of been phased out, but yeah. Okay. But That's good. There's an, the iconic Amanda to me after Amanda Dobbins is Amanda from Can't Hardly Wait. So that's like one Amanda. of the best Amandas there could be. I know, but uh, yeah. that haunted me as a child, so that was tough. Um, I, You know, Amanda <laughs> Pete is up there for us. Real Amanda winner. Gorman was a, like, that was a like mm. a really big moment and also kind of like the, the next generation. You know, you don't meet a lot of 20-something Amandas these days. It's a very 80s name. Speaking of 20-something Amandas, there was another, there was an Italian film released recently called Amanda, which is delightful. And if you like Greta Gerwig, I really encourage you to seek out the film, Amanda, it should be on streaming soon. It was, like, it had a pretty limited release in theaters. But that also features a 20-something Amanda who's just trying to make friends in unusual ways. Okay, and great. she's Italian. So we're doing okay this summer. This reminds me, this is totally unrelated, but the, one, the only trailer I cared about at Barbie was the one for Challengers, which is the Luca mm-hmm. Guadagnino movie with Zendaya yeah. and Josh O'Connor and Mikey Feist. And I'm yeah. 
based. I'm really, really excited. That's all. Un- unfortunately, it's now uh, pushed back, right? Pushed back until spring 2024, which is a real bummer for everyone. I mean, that one, that was sort of like the first, like, immediate example of what are they going to do when actors can't promote a movie because they're on strike because that was scheduled to be to open the Venice Film Festival which is typically a fairly glamorous affair which basically meant that Zendaya was scheduled right. to open the Venice Film Festival and for that to to make a red carpet premiere and do a whole world tour and then to open the movie and it was just like a real if Zendaya can't promote it you can't release that movie like the math was done <sighs> on Zendaya promoting it. I know. I'm, you know, I, Zendaya is very valuable. And so it's, I think that's our jam session lesson of 2023. We've said that in so many different ways. Zendaya or bust? Zendaya or bust. So it's like, it's a, it's a real bummer. It's a loss to all of us who were looking forward to that movie and also to Zendaya being around. I, you know, because I think that means that she won't compete for the Oscars. Right. This year, which means the Oscars won't have Zendaya, which was our number one note after this year. You've got to have some more movie stars. So, I don't know. Under 40. Yeah, exactly. So, we'll see. But I am looking forward to it when it comes out. Me too. All right, last note of the day. Our dear friend Wesley Morris wrote just an incredible piece about Aaron Rodgers becoming a New York celebrity right before training camp opens in a couple weeks or a week or so. And I I just wanted to recommend it because Wesley is singular and Wesley writing about celebrity is even more singular. It's pretty great. Starts with an anecdote about the Tonys, which is also great. It was wonderful. I didn't. I was not aware. I learned a lot from this piece. I always learn, learn a lot from Wesley Morris, um, who is the best working critic, in my opinion. Well, I don't want to spoil the column for people, but there are two things that I learned. Number one, that Aaron Rodgers went to the Tonys. <laughs> didn't know. <laughs> Number two, Wesley shares like a pretty delightful personal anecdote, which, spoil, I'm going to spoil it, which involves like being, uh, realizing that he's walking down the street behind Aaron Rodgers and (laughs) that he just kind of like kept going and it's like a way to engage with his celebrity, but just a random thing that happened, which I love. And Wesley admits that he doesn't normally do this, but he like went a few blocks further behind Aaron Rodgers than he should have, or not should have, normally would have. Well, I was say, Wesley does not care about celebrities. Like, Wesley, right. does, Wesley does not. And it's not like an ethical thing of like, oh, I'm a movie critic. I can't. It's just he doesn't. Like, and he's he just, talks also in the, in the piece about the way that New Yorkers tend to interact with celebrity and then how, like, that sort of applied to Aaron Rodgers, but sort of didn't. And it was interesting to watch all the other people interact. He turns into a case study, which was great. I really liked it. I also, I have done that before with Wes Anderson. So it was... Um, it was, I just felt seen and it was really funny and it made me feel better about that. Sometimes it's a great piece. Gotta, yeah. And also, I am not happy about Aaron Rodgers. Like, this this tour of New York he's been doing of just like being in the audience as many places on camera as possible. But it is great fodder and it's the kind of thing we deserve. The, 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 the city that has the New York Post deserves to have Aaron Rodgers at least for one disastrous season. So let's go, people. I miss football. I, this is, I am excited to read about things in the New York Post. <laughs> we, we have one more topic that I wanted, apparently oh, yes. you missed. But it, it's having to do with athletes uh, being out in the world. In this case, it was Tom Brady and Arena Shake who were apparently dating because they were photographed. He was photographed picking her up at Hotel Bel Air. 
and then dropping her off the next morning in the same outfit, there was also some face touching in a way that to me suggests that someone was aware that a photographer might be somewhere. But anyway, that's fine. That's what, like, you know, Shakira can only dream of being Arena Shake, and that's whatever between consenting adults is okay with me. I just want to share the quote that Giselle's team gave to TMZ about responding to this series of events. Why wouldn't she be happy for Tom? She divorced him. It is helpful to her freedom that he moved on. (laughs) It is helpful to her freedom! That is no... First of all, Giselle gave that quote, okay? Like, I don't have any proof of that, but no one is better at giving post-divorce comments than Giselle. That is... It is helpful to her freedom that he moved on. Beautiful. Congratulations. I love it. Divorce Giselle is my favorite Giselle yet. There's no doubt about that. It's it's an it's amazing stuff. Tom Brady's been photographed a lot while he's been living in Los Angeles the last few months. And like, I understand that he's famous, so I'm sure like people are looking for him. But to your point, Hotel Bel Air is like pretty out of the way and a lot of celebrities stay there a lot. And that's, there's not a lot of pictures usually coming out of ho- the Hotel Bel Air. Beverly Hills Hotel is a different story with like the polo lounge and stuff, but... Not the Hotel Bel Air. So I, I think you're on to something, Amanda. Thank you for Just, bringing this to me and the Jam Session listeners because it's incredible. You're so welcome. I hope it's helpful to your freedom. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, thank you so much to our producer, Jade Whaley. Thank you to Greta Gerwig. We don't deserve you, but we are so lucky to have you. And we will be back next week. 